You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. We are so glad that you decided to join us. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ty Gaston. I'm one of the elder candidates here at Providence Community Church. And here, <laughs> I appreciate that. Can't be, can't be upset about that clap. Um, Here at Providence, we are a people formed around a single and compelling vision, and that is to make the gospel unignorable in our city. And it's to that end that we teach the Bible every single week because we believe it is God's word, an anchor to our soul, and a light into our path. And this morning, we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 8, continuing our series, The Great Eight, where we're learning about the promises of God and how to apply them to our lives. Uh, This morning, it's going to be Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. If you do not have a Bible, um, there should be one located in the seat backs in front of you. Um, And if you don't have a Bible, you can call your own. Please consider that a gift from us to you. It's the greatest gift you could ever have, which is the gift of God's word. Uh, Again, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Uh, If you can and are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Hey, hey. Excuse me one second. Let me move this. The things that we, we get trained to do as worship leaders. Uh, good morning. My name is Brendan. If you've never met me before, I am one of the other elder candidates here at the church. Um, thank you. And uh, I'm the director of worship and group life as well. So typically my Sunday morning role is right where I'm standing, just with a guitar in front of me. Um, and then I also oversee just everything with to do with our home groups as well which plug, you'll hear about that at the end. Would love for you to get involved in that. Um, my wife and I, Chelsea, have been here from the beginning, which is eight years now, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, not eight years as an official church, but eight years since our, pre, our pre-launch. And when we started the church, we weren't even dating yet. So that's been a long time. And uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, this is my second time, I think, to preach at Providence. And uh, I'm really just jo- joyful to be here, joyful to be in ministry in general, joyful to be gathered with you. We always talk about how the gathered body of Christ on a Sunday morning is something very special. Um, and, and we say it's a beautiful thing when, when the saints gather. And I believe uh, wholeheartedly that, number one, God invites us together because he's not only reconciled us to one another, but to himself. And I believe that even for times like this where we don't have things like children's ministry or the things that we're used to, 
even if you can only pay attention for 30% of the time, it's a greater thing to be here than somewhere else. I believe that God grows us, he nourishes us, he renews us when we are in the presence of one another. And so that's why if you've had a personal conversation with me over the past six months, I've probably said something along the lines of, we really would love to see you here because I believe that God um, moves in our midst um, and grows us together. So we've been spending the last 12 weeks together walking through Romans 8 and talking all about the different promises uh, of God in Christ Jesus. So we've spent time talking about things like freedom, battling the flesh, suffering, um, tons and tons more things like being called, things like God working all things for our good. You name it, we've talked about it. So today, as we bring this series to a close, I've got one hope. And I know that that hope is the same for anybody who ever comes and preaches from the stage, and that is that Christ may be glorified and that you walk away from this gathering of the saints more affectionate for Jesus than when you walked in. And so uh, to that end, I'd like to pray and I'd ask the Lord to, number one, remind us that he's in our midst. And number two, that he is worth our time and our affections this morning. If you're tuning in online, I want to thank you and to say that I know it's difficult during this time, but you tuning in right now is worth, it's worth it because God is worthy of our affections and our, and our, our, our praise. So join me together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our gracious living God, we love you. We adore you. You are our treasure, Lord. You are the highest good. And we just, we can't say enough about you, Lord. And I just thank you that you've given us the provisions to be here today in the midst of what's happening in our world. We ask that you would guard us on our health. We ask that you would allow us to focus, God, God, there is no, there's no shame in anything that happens this morning. And, and Lord, that if, if, uh, if any of us in this room have found it difficult to be here with our kids, Lord, it's, it's a good work that you, that you have called us to do. There's grace right now. There's love for all, uh, for, for all people, Lord. And so we ask that you would increase our affections. You would convict us of unbelief and you'd allow us to respond in worship, Lord. And we pray in your saving name and we say it together, amen. Okay, so I'm going to be vulnerable here, which means I'm going to put myself out here. You can judge me or not. It's, it's your prerogative, but I'm going to lay some things out here. So Paul uh, in, in, in the New Testament talks about how um, for people that think they have things to boast in, he says, I have more. And he, he, he lists a number of things, more, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, blameless. But obviously he's making a point that his righteousness is in Jesus. However, if somebody were to think that they could boast, he would have more reason to boast. So many of you may or may not know that I'm a huge fan of the show, The Office. <clears throat> and if you think that you have reason to boast, I have more. <laughs> I'm partially kidding. So... <clears throat> I wanted to lay out some credentials, and I promise there's a point to this. This is not just me getting on a stage to brag about my addictions. But <clears throat> typically when people uh, find out that I'm a big fan of the show, they ask, how many times have you seen it? And I, I give the same question that, that I give when people say, how do you pronounce your last name? Because I love to hear people guess. Um, my last name is pronounced Tanamachi, by the way, if you wonder. It is Japanese, which we will also talk about later in the sermon. Um, so typically the number that people guess is eight and I just always have to respond and say, man, that's child's play. <laughs> and so I say, it's a little higher than that. They typically go 12 to 15. At that point, they're tired of guessing. So uh, I, I just want to put before the brothers and the sisters that I have seen the office through from beginning to end 36 times. <laughs> and if you, 
Thank you. If you consider that to be a sin, I can repent of it later. <clears throat> so I did some math to talk about what that means, what the, what, what the consequences of me spending that much time watching The Office 36 times through is. So if we basically based every, every episode on 22 minutes, which we know it's not because you have season finales, you have specials that are an hour long. But if we said that all 200 episodes of The Office were 22 minutes, uh, it, it would essentially take you three days from morning to night, every, every minute spent to watch The Office through, right? That means that I have spent 110 entire days of my life dedicated to Dunder Mifflin paper. <laughs> and uh, I don't, you know, I, I like to think it's a good thing, but we'll see. <clears throat> so some more things. Uh, I've admin several groups on Facebook that are devoted to The Office uh, I was a, a couple of years ago, I was an admin of a page uh, that had 375,000 likes. Um, right now, <laughs> I'm currently an admin of a page, shameless plug, called Dunder Mifflin Theological Seminary. And uh, it is basically just a group for Christians that love the office because we found that at times, you know, we, the, the jokes and stuff that would be exchanged or can be kind of intense. So we just wanted to create a, a space for that. Um, we've got a podcast, 8,000 members, and themed merchandise. So if you want to get a Dunder Mifflin Theological Seminary hoodie, we can, we can make that happen. Um, this is kind of cool. I've been featured in a video that Rain Wilson himself, who plays Dwight Schrute, has shared on his, his Facebook page. Uh, we, did this, we did this like 12 days of, of Christmas parody for The Office, and uh, I was playing guitar, and, and it was like chopped up and with different people, and I was in it. And I've also won and placed in the top three in numerous official office trivia contests with some of you in this crowd have been on my team. And uh, so all this to say, if you have a question about the office, I'm your man. Now, I know that there's some other people that would claim that title, but I promise you, I'm your man. So at the end of you knowing how many times and just how involved and just how many hours of my life that either you considered have been valuable or wasted, you can come to one conclusion, and that is that I love the office. I am borderline or extremely legitimately obsessed. Uh, I am an advocate for the office. I am pro the office. So Paul begins this last section of Romans 8 in the same way because he has gone through this treatise of different promises that God gives to us. He starts by saying that the spirit of the law of life has set you free. He says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He says he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He said he's, he's foreknew you, he's predestined you, he's justified you, he's called you, and he will glorify you. And then what does Paul say? What do we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Let's start there. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because of Jesus, God is not for you. Excuse me, careful there. God is not against you. He is for you. I saw this tweet one time a couple years ago that was pretty sobering. It said, if God be for you, who can be against you? But if God be against you, and it finished, and, and it, it didn't finish the tweet on purpose. And it just reminded me, thanks be to God that Jesus has made a way for us and that God is for us. And that's why we want to make the gospel unignorable here at Providence is because we understand that pre-Christ, the wrath of God was set upon us and that um, we didn't deserve anything, but Jesus has been gracious to us. And we want to share that good news with everybody else in this city. And that is why we aim for that, for that, that cause. God is for your good. And he has promised us through Christ that he is, he has, 
and he will work all things for our good because we are called according to his purpose. So be encouraged in that. And there's so much more. He keeps going. And in verse 32, he adds to that beautiful truth by saying, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Ephesians says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. And this is a beautiful message of hope because not only is God for us, but then he also gives us all good things in Christ Jesus. And it's just such a beautiful thing to be reminded of. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings because we have to be reminded of those things. When we sing, is he worthy later, there's a line that I always cry to in my car. And it says, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And it says, it is. And I feel that so deeply in my soul because we must be, some people call it rehearsing the goodness of God. Last week, Eric preached about those whom God foreknew that he predestined. He then calls them. He then justifies them. And then he also glorifies us. And so the good news is that, number one, since God has known us and saved us in his perfect way, the text says, who can bring a charge against us? You see, God was and is the only person who could condemn us. And we see that in the story of the woman caught in adultery in the Gospels. This woman is brought before the town square publicly and they, they, the, the people of the town come and get Jesus and they say, this woman was caught in adultery and we want, to, we want to kill her. She deserves death. And so he goes out there and then the famous line, let he who is without sin cast the first stone and everybody filters out because they are unable to stand up to that merit. But Jesus says, picks her up, says, and neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. The beautiful thing is that God, being the only perfect being, was the only one who could condemn us, right? But he chooses not to. And so then the statement stands, who can bring a charge against God's elect or God's people? The answer is no one. So it it keeps adding up. He doesn't condemn us. And if God is for us and God being the only person that could have condemned us doesn't, who could be against us? Who could bring a charge against us? No one. Now, To be clear, that doesn't mean you're not going to experience opposition in this lifetime. Doesn't mean you're not going to experience suffering. Doesn't even mean that you won't experience persecution at times. But the truth is, and the truth of the gospel is that no one can condemn you. And he who could does not. You are pardoned in Christ Jesus this morning. So that's my first point. God is for us. Yes and amen. Amen. Yes and amen. So most of you know that um, uh, God is for us. Hopefully all of you know that God is for us, but he takes it a step further. 33 says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And then this great phrase, who indeed is interceding for us. See, Paul didn't have to say indeed, but he chose to say indeed. It's like he's putting his foot down and saying, who absolutely, certainly is interceding for us. And there's a beautiful truth to that and an example of this, and I have permission to tell this story. Um, Many of you, and hopefully all of you, and if you don't, we're we're learning right now that that Court, our pastor, is overseas getting his daughter, Jane, to bring her home. Let's celebrate that. That's, amen. And you know, I know that so many of you are in the foster and adoption process here at this church. So number one, let me validate you here in saying that each story is so different. 
And we're not here to elevate any stories over the other, but the most important story is that we are adopted in Christ Jesus, our Lord, into his family. But I just wanted to highlight this because there's some, there's some themes here that I want to I wanna highlight. Um, so Court is overseas and, and in a country that I'm not going to say right now because he's there right now and we're, we're going to respect privacy and safety. Um, but there was a host of difficulty that came with that trip, and I'm sure the specifics will be a little bit more accurate if you actually talk to the Marleys. But to the best of my knowledge, within a four-year process, there have been multiple adoption agency changes. And if any of you know what it's like to fill out uh, uh, applications for adoptions and foster, you know, just go get a doctorate instead, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, it is an inordinate amount of, of uh, information that you have to give, official documents that you have to get sealed and sent, um, background checks, references, you name it, passports, fingerprints. So imagine doing that three different times, how frustrating that could be. And, and honestly, at some point, how discouraged you could be. So through multiple agency changes, bureaucratic difficulties, obviously with a different country's government, there's just different regulations and there's bureaucratic stuff enough with our own government. Um, but imagine with a foreign government and then to top it all off, a worldwide pandemic hits. <laughs> so when, I, when the Marleys finally got their court date, I know that originally they had got one, it got canceled. And then they got another. And then I remember being in the office when court kind of got the news of the most current one, um, which I think actually got canceled again and then rescheduled. So just emotional roller coaster here. But uh, if you know anything about court, you know that he, he can be very committed to certain things and that it's impossible to change his mind at times, which can be a really good thing, right? Um, and so in this case, it is, and I'm grateful that, that, you know, as a friend, that he's a guy that's committed to what he's committed to. And so he basically looked at us and said, it doesn't matter what it's going to take, I'm going. And in my mind, as the person who analyzes and is a low-risk person, I'm like short-circuiting, thinking about somebody going overseas without like, with, with such a high risk. So he just said, I'm just going to buy a ticket and I'm going. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the country if I have to stand outside the courthouse for a month every day. I'm just like, man. So he did. And he got on a plane and he goes over there and he's in a foreign country and he knew the risks involved and he got stuck in custom for about 10 hours over there, which is a long time. But the truth is like he, he's also a diligent guy, so he prepared. He brought all the documents that he could think to, to, to bring. Um, sometimes they, this country has special privileges if you have a citizen in your, or a person in your family who's a citizen of this country, which court does. And so he brought that passport for his son and and all the things, the letters who had been, that had been advocated for from the government and things like that. And, and really, like, they still didn't want to let him in. So it took an outside agent. It took the government, the U.S. Embassy, writing letters, making phone calls to say, you got to let this guy in. Here's what he's trying to do. And after 10 long hours, they let him in. And let's celebrate that. That's... But the thing is that it's, it's so... Uh, it's such a gospel parallel here, right? We can bring everything that has been prepared, the best that we have to offer. But without an outside agent and that being in Christ Jesus in this gospel parallel, we cannot enter in. But thanks be to God that Jesus has done that for us. Amen. And see, the beautiful thing about the Lord is that he doesn't, he not only does not condemn us, but then Christ Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, continually intercedes for us. He makes our worship acceptable to the Father, which is my second point, Jesus is interceding for us. So I chose not to put Jesus intercedes for us, but right now he is interceding for us. We have an active God, not a far off God. 
And so I think about another example here because I wanted to be true to the culture at Providence and do a sports analogy. <clears throat> so you think about giving your, some, somebody giving your mer- their merit to you or their credibility. Imagine, imagine showing up in 1994 in downtown Chicago to the Bulls uh, practice facility in the middle of their sixth championship run. But let me, re- let me say, back to back, Houston Rockets in the middle of that. Let's not forget about that. That's important. Um, <clears throat> imagine showing up. And if any of you have seen the documentary, The Last Dance on on Netflix, you you get this portrait of Dennis Rodman, who's the power forward of the Chicago Bulls. I think he was about 6'9", but he was scary because not only was he kind of a mean player, but he had multicolored hair, piercings all over, tattoos all over. He was physical. He was a brute. Imagine him showing up and saying, like, who are you? Looks down at you, calls you kid. And you're kind of like, well, first of all, I don't even know why we're showing up at the facility, but let's just say we do. And he says, who are you? And then you, before you can even say something, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan says, oh, he's with me. And not only is he with me, but he's on the team. And so Rodman says, okay, he's good to go. So the, the difference here is that all of us at this level would fall flat on our faces trying to play basketball with them. And especially on this side of earth. And we can't even measure up to Michael Jordan's basketball merit as human beings, let alone the merit, the righteousness of Christ, Right. But in Christ, we receive his merit. It's not just that he says, hey, you're good to go, but we also receive his merit and we spend eternity with him because of that, because he continues to intercede for us on the cross. We have an active God that is with us. Be encouraged in that this morning. Let's just sit in that for a moment. In the midst of your weakness, in the midst of a moment this week where you've struggled or maybe you didn't have faith or you didn't trust God, Jesus Christ himself, the King of Kings, intercedes for you because he loves you. And he is doing so with 100% success. Amen and glory to God. So we keep reading. And we enter one of the most powerful declarations in all the Bible. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword? It's this laundry list of almost rhetorical questions that Paul's asking. Then we come upon this uniquely placed, and without context, it seems kind of odd. This verse right here that says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is Paul actually quoting Psalm 44. And I have that pulled up for us, and I'll read it for us. It says, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant." Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. See, the psalmist here is giving an honest and gut-wrenching lament because he's saying that he feels, keyword feels, because we don't know, but he feels that he hasn't done wrong. Yet it feels to him like God has abandoned him. What a feeling. What a heartbreak that David is lamenting. I'm sure we've all been there and it's hard to admit it because we want to be people that have merits. We want to be people that have good faith, but I'm sure we've all been there at times, whether we want to admit it or not the state of desperation where we feel like there's nothing going right or I don't know what my next move is. It seems like everything's crumbling. But then Paul 
makes it clear. After that, with a resounding no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And see, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He's writing to the people of Rome. And when you think about the empire of Rome, you know that Rome was built and bred for conquering. In the same way that you think of the, the highest branch of military, the most elite operatives in our government are built and bred this, this faction to accomplish the mission of the organization. These people were built and bred for conquering. And he's writing to the specific people saying, no, in all these things, you're more than this in him who loved you. And he's saying this, this great exaltation of God's power and a combination of Paul's heart and worship. He says, for I'm sure, and other uh, translations say, I'm convinced, I know that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. My final point today, nothing can separate us from God. What a statement. Nothing, no thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I, just want, I want to run over that list again. So the first thing that Paul says is neither death nor life. Nothing in life and nothing in death can separate us from God. Christians, we need not fear life and we need not fear death. My grandmother passed away two weeks ago last Wednesday. She was 97 years old. Uh, she was the, um, we call her the matriarch of our family. She uh, was on my Japanese side. Her name was Mimi Mitsi, but her real name was Mitsuye. And uh, 97 is a long time to live. She grew up in uh, California and Texas, and then in, in the 1940s, she, was, she and her family were taken by the government to Japanese relocation camps and spent several years there. Um, and she always spoke really well of that, which was not abnormal to me as a child because she was an extremely positive person. And to be quite honest, she, she was so in love with Christ when we didn't really understand that we used to get annoyed and think, man, can't even have a conversation with Mimi without her talking about Jesus. And now I understand at this point in my life. And uh, she would say things like, oh, yeah, it was a great time, which is crazy. But we did crafts. We had dances. We played sports. I, I was the captain of the softball team. And as you were in Romans 8, 28, when, when or sorry, not 28, um, maybe it is, sorry, when God, when. He's, when Paul says God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, one thing that came out of that was my, my Mimi married my Papa Tom in the camps. And because of that, I'm here today, which glory to God for that. And uh, so she would always tell us those things. And I saw a musical later on in life called Allegiance that uh, talked about the time of the Japanese in the, in the camps. And it actually painted the other side of the picture that when, when FDR gave the, the uh, and I'm not making a political statement here, I'm just telling you the history of my family. When FDR made the, the call for the Japanese Americans to be rounded up into camps, they were forced to give up their farms and their businesses for pennies in the dollar. I mean, imagine giving up your lifelong business for $1,000, $5,000. And uh, you have to sell it, you, 
You can't really take, you can't take all your possessions. You go to three years, four years to a camp in a different state. And, uh, you know, the, the Japanese camps get forgotten a lot because the concentration camps in Germany and were, were, were happening at the same time, and they're just, they're so different. Um, and so the Japanese aren't thought of as much, but uh, it painted the picture of this, this word called gaman, which is this Japanese word. Uh, I have a tattoo right here, actually. Um, the kanji Japanese says gaman. It's a tribute to my grandmother. And what it means is the Japanese people would use that as their rally cry just to, 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 uh, to say we must push through the most intense trial and tribulation. And if you know anything about the Japanese culture, at large, the Japanese are a peaceful people that are uh, fixed on honor. Honor is a big thing. And so if you saw like the World Cup 2014, after the matches, the Japanese people would stay behind and pick up the trash in the seats and put it in bags. They just wanted to respect. I'm not saying they're a perfect people. That's just the culture that they have. And so you look at Mimi and the way she talked about her situation and it makes sense. Well, we took, uh, about five years ago, um, we took a trip to Los Angeles and we um, spent some time there with my Japanese relatives and we went to the Japanese Heritage Museum in, in LA and uh, they had deconstructed a barrack, which is just a sleeping quarters, and they reconstructed the actual thing in the museum. So we walked into the museum and we're looking all around at the pictures of the farming and of the, the things like the mess hall and my Mimi's 93 at this time or 92, which again, that's... It's a long time, but she's in, she's mentally sharp at the time and walking around and, and uh, you know f- four foot ten probably, um, sweetest lady you'll ever meet, and she's like oh I remember that or oh I remember we had this dance here and then just very very good spirits and then we turn the corner and we walk and we see the barrack and she freezes and she almost collapses. I'm talking she weeps like I've I've never seen her weep, just incapacitated. We had to catch her. And we had to help her to the nearby bench. She's weeping. And uh, um, my sister is there. You know, um, my wife, I think we were engaged at the time. We were all there surrounding her. And she's crying, saying, we just told ourselves there was nothing we could do. We just had to push through it. We just had to get through it. She never said the word gaman specifically, but that was the theme of the people. And that was in the 40s, and for the next 40 years or 60 years more, my grandmother came to Christ. And I'm 31, so, so I've known her for 31 years until two weeks ago, but she passed on into glory. She is the reason that we are Christians today. And every day, this is not an exaggeration, every day that she would come visit or we'd go visit her in Dallas, she would say, she'd wake up and say, I guess Jesus has more work for me today. But maybe soon he'll take me home. My Papa Tom passed away. 40 years ago, and she passed away two weeks ago, one day short of 40 years from the day that my Papa Tom passed away. And she is finally home with Jesus. She had wanted that every day of her life, her entirety. She had no fear in life and no fear in death because she knew that to be with Jesus is gain and to live is more of Christ. And Paul says that to the church in Philippi, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Some of you may have seen my Facebook status when I shared it when she passed, and that was the subtitle. I said gain because she experienced the biggest gain. And that is waiting for you and I one day because of all the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. So you need not fear life. If Mimi Mitzi doesn't fear life with all the tragedy she's been through, we can, we can grab onto Christ Jesus in the same way and say we don't fear life. And we don't fear death because neither of those things can separate us from the love of God. 
Paul adds on to that list and he says, nor angels or rulers. And he's reminding us that even spiritual beings, the enemy himself cannot separate you from God. doesn't matter if we want to talk about a government saying that we can't gather or a government saying that you, we will kill you if you gather, whatever you want to say, that can't separate us from God. Height or depth nor anything else in all creation. As Psalm 139 says, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your hand will guide me and your right hand shall hold me. If I make my bed and shield the darkest of the dark, you are there with me. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So as we bring Romans chapter eight to a close after 12 weeks, we ask ourselves, so what? What now? The so what is that you can trust in Jesus this morning. No matter what's gonna happen tomorrow, or the next day, God is interceding for you right now. God himself is interceding for you. So my final charge to you this morning is turn your eyes upon Jesus. To the person in this room that's afraid to fail, Christ lifts your weary head. To you who's listening, who's overcome with anxiety, Jesus is your peace. To the person who can't let go of their past, Christ did, and he gave you his merit. And he gave you a new life. And to the person who can't seem to hold on hope, Christ placed perfect hope in the Father and you can put all your trust in him. Why? Because nothing in heaven and earth or in all of creation can separate you from the perfect, everlasting, never failing, soul reviving, sin forgiving, beautiful love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that should bring us to worship, my friends. So when we take of the Lord's Supper, we should be reminded when we take the, what, what is the broken body of Christ, what is a reminder of the shed blood, that is a gift that is given to us to remind us of all these promises that then Paul says, what do we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're a person that struggles with singing, I say this biased as a worship leader, this is worth singing about. What is the thing that you do in times where you're happy? You sing songs. When you're sad, when we grew up, when we broke up from a relationship, we'd listen to sappy songs. It was the way that our hearts would emote, right? So why is that different for the joy that we have in Jesus? It's not. In fact, as Martin Luther said, music, second to the word of God, is the, most, the greatest gift that God has given to us. We're about to sing one of my favorite songs, Yet Not I, But the Christ in Me. And I feel like I've given this, this particular verse to so many people over the last few months as I've ministered. It says this, it says, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken for by my side, the savior, he will stay. This is my favorite right here because I know that each and every one of you work hard and you do things that nobody sees, but it says this, it says, I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need, his power is displayed. Not only on this side of eternity is, your, is God's power displayed, but everything that you do that nobody sees it's meaningful and God validates that and it will be made perfect when Christ makes you perfect. He sees it all. And then it says, to this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead. And then uh, uh, the exclamation, oh, the night has been won and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. So my friends, may your hearts worship this morning. May you look upon Jesus in awe, for he looks upon you in delight. 
He loves you. He is for you. And nothing can separate you from him this morning. That is worthy of our worship. Stand to your feet. Pray with me. Lord, nothing in heaven and on earth and in all creation can separate us from you. We gather each Sunday morning to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be rebuked for your spirit to speak to us, Lord. Through all these things, we've seen that if God is for us, no one can stand against us. No one can bring a charge against us because you could, but you didn't. So Lord, as we, as we begin to fathom what it looks like to, to operate in obedience this week, I pray that our hearts would take time to be still. I pray that we would take time to Selah. As we take of the elements of the Lord's Supper, Lord, may your covenant, may, may we be reminded of your covenant to us. We will feast at the table with you one day because Jesus has made a way for us. May that never grow old. May it always be fresh to us. May we never lose the wonder of Jesus. And so God, we just ask that this place, this room would emanate with voices this morning. And that, Lord, we would be in love with you, devoted to you, God. And we pray in your name and we say together, amen.